0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, y'all, it's Wednesday, so let's do a little midweek check-in. How's your mental health? Mine's good. You know, a little tired, a little burnout, but at the same time, finding some um, strength and value in some of the things I'm reading. I'm, I'm personally reading a lot of things that are challenging my perspective on what I want my time to be about right now, but also in a larger sense, uh, what do I want my legacy to be? So ask yourself, how's your mental health? Also, check in on a few people you care about today. Every day, I recommend checking in at least three people saying, hey, I've been thinking about you. How's your mental health? listening. Again, normalizing, hearing it, asking it, talking about it, and again, letting people know that you're a resource and trying to find resources for you to honestly and authentically talk about your mental health. And when we're talking about it, remember to not try to fix or provide solutions. Just witness, just listen, just be present. That's the work. We don't need to fix. We don't need to heal. We're learning how to be a companion. We're learning how to hold space. We're just listening and being present. Also, Have you been finding any joy? So I want you to focus on joy. What have I done this week or what have I done today that's rooted in joy? And if I haven't, let's do it. I want us to set goals for this weekend, right? This weekend, what am I going to do that's going to be centered in self-care and then also something that's rooted in joy, pleasure, and leisure? That's our work. That's our goal. So um, zero in on that. I want that for everyone something we should be doing every single day asking those questions. It's something I do every day for myself as well. Have I centered joy today? And also what have I done? That's self-care. I want to make sure that we are getting more familiar and building it in. Uh, let's talk about some news. We're looking at the stats and Corona rates are high, higher than the rest of the nation for people inside American prisons. Now this came up on my social media when I was talking about restorative justice, which is what I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of prison abolition. We need to get rid of prisons. We need to reorient the criminal injustice system. Yep. That's right. Injustice system, because it's got a lot of issues and the people that are incarcerated, most of them, well, let me start by saying this in America, we have the highest incarceration rate. So we're not necessarily stopping crime by any means. So our system is flawed. Other countries have lower rates of incarceration. Also, we don't also we don't actually do anything that's rooted in justice or healing prison is punishment no one is rehabilitated nothing is actually corrected or made right it's rooted in prison i'm sorry it's rooted in punishment um and we have to figure out ways to restore and actually transform what can we do to make things right i want people to be given that opportunity but even bigger than that the prison system is housing people that aren't violent offenders most of the people in prison are there for things like drug charges things that actually aren't uh crimes towards a victim It has a heavy rate of violence towards people that are in the LGBTQIA community. Uh, The largest rate of individuals in prison are people of color. So prison is racist. The criminal justice system is rooted in racism. So prison abolition is about liberating people of color and black people. Again, people that are trans and gay really suffer severe violence in prison. So it is not safe to call the police on people that are black or people that are gay or trans. And we need to find other solutions, community-based solutions. And that's where transformative and restorative justice comes from. And these people don't need to be suffering higher rates of corona. They still have human rights and they still have value. And we wanna also use terminology after someone's released from prison or the criminal injustice system that doesn't always tie them to having been in jail. So we don't wanna use words like convict or ex-con or ex we want to use words that allow them to have evolved and moved beyond we all know what it's like to be held accountable to things we didn't do but also things that we might have done but we've done the work and we've healed and we've transformed and we've done better and we move beyond so we want to try to start to find ways to actually heal and create justice because again punishment isn't doing that. We have the highest rate of imprisonment and the carceral system, aka the prison system, isn't rehabilitative at all. It's just throwing people away and no one deserves to be thrown away. But we'll keep talking more about that. But if that's something that piques your interest, more and more celebrities are talking about it. Um, Kim Kardashian has, God bless her. John Legend has. But there's also a lot of really great books and research out there. So definitely dive into that. Zac Efron, his new sh- his new show, Down to Earth, is getting a lot of pushback from the social justice world because they're basically saying, ah, a white cis head Roman going into marginalized and exploited communities and other indigenous places. And again, you know, colonizing and bringing the cameras and not necessarily healing or doing anything empowering for those environments, just taking advantage of it for entertainment purposes and not really looking at sustainability, which is what the show is supposed to be centered in. I haven't seen it, but I'm reading a lot of really powerful critique from the feminist community and the social justice community. And they're basically saying it's just another form of colonizing. It's a colonizing fantasy. And the show they say that's supposed to be rooted in wellness and sustainability actually isn't. It waters it down, and it really basically just takes them and their white crew to these different places during a pandemic, these places that have dire consequences, and they're not doing anything really truly healing, and it's somewhat exploitative. Bam. Bam. I didn't see that one coming because I know nothing about the show. I was just ups, upset to see people calling Zac Efron's body a dad bod, which let's remove that term. It's offensive. It's a very ageist. But also, he has a very muscular, gym-based body. So let's not use his body as the barometer for someone who's stepped outside of that. Let's just challenge that stuff altogether. Uh, question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page. But coming up next, we're going to talk about sexual self-esteem. Yes, it's an important part of sexual health, but also mental Mental health. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, question of the night it's up on our Loveline IG page so weigh in on that it's in the stories also DMs they're always open so jump in there with any thoughts or questions also just a reminder Loveline's podcasted on uh, over at wearechannelq.com and radio.com all the past episodes you can go back check that out but uh, let's talk about sexual self-esteem now this is really interesting to me because it's something that a lot of people don't really think about or unpack and we've said before how we can't move through the world with total self-esteem or confidence if parts of us have shame or guilt and uh, there's a lot of work to do a lot of people often don't stop to say let me do the work on some sexual healing and look at those those threads so when we talk about sexual self-esteem this comes up whenever we're trying to be romantic or sexual with someone all these different pieces of us are called in a question and brought up and triggered where otherwise they're not as present or overt so sexual self-esteem is about number one how desirable we feel And that's an accumulation of a lot of different things. How people have shown us who we are and our worth, right? Uh, That's reflected back. uh, How we've been treated. Also, how much we live up to or don't live up to desirability standards and market value, which culturally we have these expectations. And we've determined certain bodies, shape, sizes, and types to be desirable and others to not be. And whether or not you fall into that is going to determine how you feel about your desirability. Also your sexual preferences, the things that turn you on. If you have a lot of confidence in, in who you are sexually, that will also help your sexual self-esteem, the things that arouse you and turn you on, who you are at your core. But if you're turned on by things that are a little more diverse or creative, that culturally have been shamed or pathologized, that will, again, impact your sexual self-esteem. And then we have to look at just your body, your body confidence, your body esteem. How do you feel about seeing your body? How do you feel about touching your body? How do you feel about having your body seen and having your body touched? All of these pieces come together. Also traumas we've had around others and relationship. Also boundaries we hold, communication skills. Like all these things are this big constellation that impact our sexual self-esteem. And every time we're trying to be sexual, intimate or romantic with someone or we're asked out or we think about dating, we have to encounter and go up against all these different facets. But all of them, are universalizable, meaning each one of those threads I just called out and listed have non-sexual, non-romantic components as well. And they'll get called into question when we go on a job interview or when we are at work having to speak at a meeting or when we're socializing or when we're home for the holidays, maybe with friends, family members, or loved ones. All these different pieces are constantly being called up, called out. They're swirling around. We're always assessing it consciously, unconsciously. So it's also why I'm Always telling people be very, be very thoughtful about who you have sex with and who you date, how you let them talk about you and talk to you, uh, leave things when they're feeling bad or toxic because we internalize these things. We absorb it. We The way we feel about ourselves is very much a reflection of how people have treated us, how they've spoken about us and to us, and it's going to heal that or it's going to hinder that. We also have our early life, early traumas and events. And again, our adult life will either heal that or it'll hinder that. And we always want to be working on the pushing forward and healing component, right? Because our sexual self-esteem will also be brought up or comes into question based on decisions we make. If we'll set boundaries, if we'll say no, if we'll take care of ourselves, right? Our self-worth is going to determine how much we think we value. And again, what boundaries we'll set what we think we deserve like that's all in there and so if you're starting to identify wow I have a lot of work to do maybe put a pause on dating or having sex because you're realizing I might be using it against myself I might not be taking care of myself and I might be further wounding myself right it's that whole check and I'm always talking about before during and after how do you feel before how do you feel during how do you feel after and if you're realizing oh wow I'm not taking care of myself I'm not setting boundaries I'm having sex with people in ways that I'm feeling worse off that's all driven by your self-esteem but the things you're doing because of your lower esteem or sexual self esteem are further amplifying the issues right and so you want to pay attention to that and hopefully as we grow and we age and we have more experience we take more control of that and we pay more attention to that and as other elements mature this hopefully is impacted by that and matures and we start to make better decisions different decisions we start to pay more attention to self-care and the people we surround ourselves with um because that that again we're an open system every part of us is an open system this is also heavily dependent upon our sex education right what what those early you know our early sexual experiences are very powerful and they can set us up for a lifetime of shame or guilt um, our first sexual experience is often with ourselves, with masturbation. Do we feel like we have to be quick, silent, private? Were we shamed or mocked for that? Was our bodies a child, mocked or shamed? Was sex education something that was enhancing and uh, empowering? <laughs> often the answer is absolutely not, and it needs to be, and we're working on that. But for many of us, it wasn't. For many of us, if we were in the LGBTQIA identity spectrum, it was something that totally ignored us or even shamed that, religion's in there. These are all pieces that are set up for our foundation. And then everything that happens after that, again, empowers that or disempowers that. And so some of us have been set up to have a lot of work to do, again, because of family messaging, religion, events in school, and uh, the work is powerful, but know that it ties into every other element. So it's not just, well, I'm not having sex right now, or I've been married for a while, it doesn't matter. It does, because these things will show up, and we also transmit them uh, culturally and generationally. Do you wanna pass that on to others? Do you wanna pass it on to your children? Because you know your sexual health and mental health is going to very much set up your children and your friends for and your partner for their sexual health and mental health, right? Um, We kind of seek a balance. So know that we have the ability to kind of stop that or perpetuate that. But that's why I love doing sex therapy with individuals, because it really ties in all of their work. That's such a... Such a big entry point that has a vast impact. Um, so do the work, and there's a lot of ways to do that. I have two books out: "Sex Outside the Lines" and "Rebel Love." Love line. You know, we're constantly trying to do that work. So just be very thoughtful. Also, yesterday, go back and listen to yesterday's episode. Uh, we are channel we are channelq.com or radio.com. We were talking about social media literacy. I mean, this pulls all that in. We've also talked about how porn can be used therapeutically. That ties in. So the work is always surrounding you. Just take advantage of that. Uh, all right, coming up next, we're going to talk about some historical stuff around gayness and uh, how it was dealt with back in the Roman times. I know, I love history. It can, it can shock us. <laughs> all right, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. And just when you thought sexuality was complex enough, we look at history. Gosh, you know, we're very Americanized. For those american listeners and we forget that different cultures and across different times have seen sex and gender very very differently um in the roman army you could have gay sex just as long as you were on top now that's a truism uh because the roman culture and other cultures didn't pay attention or have labels for sexuality and they weren't looking for heterosexuality or homosexuality, they weren't really thinking in those terms. It was more geared towards masculinity and femininity. And they saw you know, more of a top position as masculine and on the bottom as feminine. And everyone sought musculature and masculinity. And so the spectrum was very different. So they didn't punish homosexuality because again, they didn't think in those terms. They weren't thinking about romance and relationality. Um, they did look down though on anyone who's a bottom in a same sex relationship because their prejudice was geared towards anything that's seen as feminine or submissive. And that's how they saw it being a bottom. Uh, they championed topness and dominance and masculinity and power and control. We still do that. <laughs> there are still some people that are not comfortable being on any kind of receiving end because they see that as disempowered or feminine. And again, remember it's, it's all in who your partner is and all in how you see yourself. Um, throughout different times and in different cultures, we had different relationships to these things. And these terms are newer terms, defining ourselves and our identity based on our gendered partner choice. That's not something that was always done. But there's always a complicated path with that. You know, in the 60s and 70s, you could get arrested for dressing as a woman. That was more in the 60s. Uh, we, we really had a phobia against that. We still do. <laughs> we still do to tend to deprioritize femininity. That's why we have misogyny and sexism and femphobia. phobia. And, you know, the gay community sees that oftentimes on dating and sex apps where people will say no fats, no femmes, And some of the fat phobia is tied to what we see as feminizing around fatness and larger bodies. Um, But that isn't the same in every culture and in every period. And there are some indigenous cultures and uh, smaller minority based cultures in other uh, islands and countries that saw homosexual behavior as actually a ritual and a rite of Uh, masculinity and becoming a man and that you would engage in sex with other men because they saw sperm as potent. And to take in the sperm of a man was to empower yourself and part of manhood. And it wasn't sexualized and they didn't care about age. It was just really rooted in this ritual and this rite of passage. I mean, it's really shocking when you read it. It's things that in our culture is, is problematized and problematic and can have traumatic effects. And it's just interesting. So remember that whenever we're looking at sex and gender norms, it's in this cultural moment in this culture and that there's different values and expectations around the world, just with sex in general. And you know, over in Denmark, they don't see sex as something to stop people from having or something to be fear-based. They see it as a rite of passage and they're excited for it to happen and kids are taught how to have it in a healthier, more meaningful way. We're here, we try to delay sex as much as possible and we talk about it in a fear-based way and we use words like virginity, which imply you've crossed over into a threshold and it's often shamed, where over in Denmark, it's like a sexual debut. Oh, you've become an adult, you've come into your sexuality and they help nourish that and nurture that. And they're very supportive of those things. So I love when we look at, again, different historical moments, seeing how they treated monogamy and marriage. And again, even monogamy and marriage weren't tied to romance and love. That's a new development where historically it was tied to power and, uh, connecting with families of power and money and land ownership. And it was based on what can we acquire, it wasn't rooted in attraction and love and chemistry, which is now what it is. But again, if you leave America and you go to some other countries and cultures, it's still like that. Uh, dating services, matchmaking, parents are setting up rides. And it again, is not rooted in romance and love. That is a modern invention. That is a modern perspective. I think it has more sustainability sometimes that way and other times it doesn't. And, and how we hold it all now will not be how we hold it all soon in the future. And I was talking about that on social media where I was saying that, The more and more gender designations we have, the more and more we push and we push and we expand and we expand. It's just going to explode until we move away from it. And that's what we're headed towards, moving away from gender designation altogether. And that's why I love all these labels. It honors... It brings into reality, but it also lets us know how fragile and flimsy gender designation and expectations are. And I can't wait for us to move away from them because a lot of psychological issues, relational issues, sexual issues are due to, due to the limits and expectations tied to this social thing we've made up called gender, which is rooted in how we present ourselves, what we wear. But it's not a real thing, and there's hundreds of ways to present your gender. And um, it's just such a beautiful moment. There's multiplicity happening. And so when we look backwards, we really get a taste of what could be and what has been. We get too familiar with what's happening in our current moment. But when you go back and you look at the history of gender and heterosexuality and homosexuality and sexual norms and values, and you also look at it cross culturally, you really start to see how expansive it is. And when you also step outside of our species and you look at how it's handled in the animal and plant world, everyone else has such different perspectives and they allow more space for shift and change but uh we struggle with that but we're getting better about that we will continue to get better about that and i will make sure we keep working on getting better about that question of the night it's up on our loveline ig page and the story so weigh in on that we we'll be breaking that on down later in the show um yeah and uh dms they're coming up so uh at any time you got a thought question or a comment slide on in there uh listening to loveline talked to chris on the new channel q and on radio.com All right, we're back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence, here we go. Hey, Dr. D. So I've been proud of myself for my active effort in quitting any toxic monogamy behavior. Love it. All thanks to your show. I only wish my boyfriend did the same. So I don't mind him liking other girls' pictures anymore on Instagram even if they are bikini pictures, even if they are attractive. (laughs) I just let it go because he's with me. And I also understand he's human and has eyes. Oh my God, I love it. You're quoting me back. Um, However, all caps, when it's me that wants to post a sexy pic, he doesn't like it or appreciate it like he does with everyone else. When I've asked him about this, he said, like, why does it bother you so much? And why is it okay for other women to do it? He just says it's disrespectful to him. Since I have a boyfriend and those girls get paid to post their pictures. He's like, why do your friends and family and coworkers need to see you naked? Is this a double standard. Does he have a point? Oh, you guys kill me. It's sweet. I like that you're having these conversations. So two things. One, disconnect your work from someone else's, right? Never stop doing what you know is best for you or holding the bar high for yourself or your partner based on what they're doing or not doing, right? Because your self-esteem is based on what you do. Your self-esteem doesn't let you off the hook if you're not acting from your best. So you want to feel fully confident. So keep the bar high for yourself. That's good for you. It will inspire your partner. Um, but yeah, we often have double standards in our relationships because our partners might not have done the work we're doing. Your partners might not, you know, is not listening to my show and reading my books like you are. So you're further along. So keep educating, lovingly holding space for them to grow and be better, holding your boundaries. Um, and if you keep your bar high, they might rise up and meet it, but people aren't always going to be where we are. And so he's more socialized from standard ideas that, you know, our worth is tied to what we post, which is true. But whether or not we post something erotic or sexy doesn't determine our worth, right? Like you're allowed to be a competent sexual, I'm sorry, you're allowed to be a confident, uh, healthy intellectual person and also have a sexuality. But it's also not wrong to maybe honor that you do want some of the attention validation we're allowed to get attention to validation from our art from our intellect from our athleticism also from our eroticism it is okay to lead with your eroticism it's called erotic capital you're allowed to use it you're allowed to use your attractiveness or desirability we all have it on some level in some population we're allowed to lead with it and use it just don't be oppressive with it or problematic but you're allowed to do that so honor that I like the validation my family it's okay for my family to know that I'm a sexual being I'm working on you know being being a feminist and knowing that we're in the fourth wave and that sexuality isn't something to have shame about or hide, especially as a female, you know? And I think that that we talked on the other show about selfies as an act of self-esteem and that sometimes working through our shame based on whatever it is we're working through, posting ourselves, putting ourselves out there is the way that we push through and work through because remember shame is maintained and created by with withholding and hiding and shrinking and leaning out And posting pictures is a way to lean in and to promote and to get familiar and to get comfortable and to get the validation. And that's okay, because our self esteem is again reflected back to us and you want that reflected back. But if he's not there and it's not that deep, maybe don't post them. You know, just kind of realize it's not that deep for me. It's upsetting to him and do some of the work with him. You know, let him get more comfortable, more familiar. I don't know. You just have to really weigh in on how meaningful it is to you, you know. But um, I'm glad that you're able to have these open conversations and dialogues. but set some standards. You know, we're allowed to disappoint, and let our partner down. So it's okay if he's uncomfortable with some of the things you're posting, just don't be secretive or lie or manipulate, but be honest and, and transparent about it and why you're doing it. And if he cares about you, he'll honor your reasoning, but it's an ongoing conversation. It's not something you're necessarily going to solve or resolve right now. So kind of keep that ball in the air, keep talking about it. You know, it's how you both learn and grow. And every time we talk to our partners about things like this. They're letting us know like how they are around difficult topics. And that's when, you know, health, sustainability, and compatibility really is shown. So um, yeah, hang in there. Slide in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. and We want you to explore the confidence. Love Lines, podcasted. We are channel and at radio.com and make sure you're checking out my other show. I'm listening live It's every thursday night 5 p.m. Pacific 8 p.m. Eastern on all the radio.com handles twitter Facebook youtube you can go back and check out all the past episodes We've been doing this since covid and uh, i'm listening live is about celebrities and experts talking about the intersections of mental health and covid We talk about self-care and tips all sorts of stuff. That's relevant. What's going on? We can learn some stuff drop some gems um, so yeah, check it all out. I'm here for you, giving you the goods. Uh, but uh, Question of Night, it's coming up later in the show, so still some time to weigh in on that on our Loveline IG page. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the Night, it's up on our Loveline IG story, so weigh in on that breaking that on down later in the show, but right now let's talk about work at home burnout. This makes me laugh because it's something that a lot of people can relate to. And it's it's a new relationship that we have to form with our employment, our home, our family members. You know, we remember back in the day when we had to leave our home and go to that thing called an office? And we had to put on work clothes. Oh, yeah, work clothes. Uh, I was jokingly talking on uh, Thursday night last week on I'm Listening Live. I was talking about sweatpants. And now moving forward, I wanted to only wear sweatpants on the bottom half no matter where I went. And uh, I was not completely joking. You know, working from home has really reminded us what comfort can be. And I like the idea that employers, employees are starting to think a little differently and realizing that we can be productive or um, goal-oriented and competent while wearing things that are more comfortable, maybe working less hours, doing some things from home when that can be done. There's nothing wrong with centering pleasure and comfort. And I think that that makes people happier and happy happiness is uh makes people thrive we should all seek that why why enforce things that don't need to be enforced and it's interesting you go to some businesses and they want people to dress up but there's no actual reason for it and comfort might make a happier workplace happy environments make happier workplaces and also can make people feel cared for. So yeah, I I made that decision a couple years ago clinically that I wasn't gonna play the game of professionalism in ways that I didn't have to. And I started dressing more casually. And I know that again, I'm in a position of privilege where I'm able to do that and that is just accepted. And I want more of that. So um, yeah, but work, working from home burnout. Listen, again, we're not just working at home. We're working at home during a pandemic. And for many, that means working at home while the children are home or also trying to go to school and going to the office. The children are in school or have childcare and the boundaries are different and accessibility is different. Not all homes have Wi-Fi, So all of that's in there. And um, I think what can happen working from home is time drift where time can just flow by or we don't have designated start and stop time. So that's part of it. Making sure you're not burning out at home is having benchmarks and awareness of time and structure. Set a start time, set a stop time. That might mean a, an alarm clock. Try to follow what is a natural flow for you. Have lunch breaks, have coffee breaks. Don't just necessarily concentratedly push through. Also, it's about setting designated work areas aside. And that might mean a different room or a different area of a generalized room and setting signifiers that let family members know when you're working and when you're not working, closing a door, setting up a sign, again telling them a time frame and saying, "Hey, look, during that time, even though I'm more accessible because I'm home or I'm literally in the room with you, I need to be able to have that that, that those boundaries honored that I'm working and I can't be interrupted. And here's when I'll be available or here's what I'll do to let you know I'm available. Some individuals will have to wear earphones to block out noise and sound. So again, it's about trying to maintain as much structure as possible with accessibility, with sound. Uh, Some people do wanna maybe get dressed and put on work clothes as a way to transition in back to that work identity and professionalism and changing back out as a way to transition back out. So if that's something that's meaningful and a signifier for you, engage that, employ that, use that. But it's about the boundary setting and letting everyone know that you're gonna be working and how you're gonna be working. And also just honoring flexibility. We need to be flexible you know um we're gonna have to allow some interruptions that maybe are not traditionally something that we have to bump into uh but again it's not over it's about not overworking yourself there can be a boundary lessness where you feel a little too available right and you're not really holding yourself accountable to the structure so build that in we're doing the best i know you know it, it can feel hard i'm doing therapy from home and it can just feel like everything's blending together home life work life Uh, but I would say it's really about designating space away. Don't collapse everything into the same space. You still want the bedroom to be associated with pleasure and sleep, maybe the couch area to be with rest and leisure. So try to separate it out. I would say don't do everything from the bedroom or don't do everything on the couch if you can separate it out because, again, symbolically, we do have associations and our mood and our psychology is associative. And so we wanna maintain certain spaces as being free from any association with work or stress or all those kinds of triggers, uh, excuse me, triggers. So keep those safer spaces safe. You know, and again, like I said, bedroom is about sex. It's about pleasure. It's about rest. Couch is the same thing. Uh, the dining room table maybe is about family time. So try to create the space as you can, carve it out. But, you know, it's not ideal. And this isn't forever. And we're in the middle of COVID. And so give yourself a break, give those around you a break. But um, it's kind of just where we're at. Odd times. I'm telling you, odd times, such a boundarylessness. And that's what I've been struggling with is if I, you know, wake up and I'm wearing throughout the day what I wore to bed and just kind of bouncing around you can lose yourself and so I've had to make myself get showered and dressed and designate certain areas for therapy areas and it's the therapy space and it's been bringing meaning and value it definitely shifts my relationship so you know again we're doing the best we can hang in there be kind to yourself you know this isn't forever we'll see what happens I don't know when that's going to happen I don't know what's going to be next but um, times are different and moving forward they they might continue to be some people might be working from home moving forward happily or sadly, you know? All right, coming up next, we're gonna talk about laughing grief and loss. There's um there's an, there's new perspectives we need to hold and more allowing. So we'll be breaking that on down and then question of the night. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night it's coming up and uh on our Love Line page. So weigh in on that. DM soon as well. We're gonna talk about grief and loss wow, such a misunderstood psychological experience. And when I lost my father, it was a really personalized version of seeing some of the misinformation out there and watching my mom's journey. And also, again, the clinical work I've been doing for 15 years around bereavement, grief, and loss. So much in there. We could do an entire show dedicated to it and I'll continue to kind of weave it in. But, um, you know, we talk about the stages of grief and... uh, Kubler-Ross, who's the person who created that, has herself said, I wish I hadn't. It's so misused, it's so misunderstood and it wasn't about people losing loved ones, it was about someone's own experience of death and it's misunderstood. And we think that there are stages you have to go through and there aren't. We think that there's stages that everyone will go through and that's not true. And we think that they'll, you know, we need to go through them all, you will go through them all, none of that's true. Sometimes you go through one, sometimes you go through all, sometimes you go through none, sometimes it's a linear process, other times it's not. And the reason why she regrets having put all that work out there is because people, again, misused it. And they think that there's a right way to grieve and there isn't. And we've built diagnoses around that, that we think if it extends beyond six months or so diagnostically, that it then becomes problematic. And that's not true. Grief and loss is forever. And some people you know, are, are surprised when I say that. But um, so much to that. We have memory and memories associative. Sights, sounds, smells, experiences will remind us of loved ones that we've lost. And it will always generate feelings. And getting over something isn't a term I use because people misunderstand what that means. They think I'll never be bothered or think of something. No, you will. And that's the beauty of it. That's how you re-experience their presence and you're reminded. And grief is a part of love. Grief is a sign of love. Grief means you did love. And it's just another element and aspect to it. But with grief and loss, it's not about getting over. It's not about fixing anything. How do we solve grief and loss? We don't. We learn to live with, we learn to live differently. We find ways to integrate it in, we sit with it. It's work as a therapist, That's work as a friend of someone who's going through grief or loss. You sit with them, you allow, you don't try to solve, you don't try to shut it down, you don't try to force them into a process, and that's when we actually complicate and make grief problematic, right? Because there's, there's nothing to solve. And what we have to really look at is what, is, what is this pain telling us? And often it's just telling us that we lost someone we loved. And we can ask what we can learn. We can ask, how do we want to be with this? Who do we want to be with this? Right? We can have that cognitive perspective. But at the end of the day, what we really need to do is just learn as a culture, how to allow pain, right? We don't know how to do that. Anytime we feel something that's painful or depressing or distressing, we want to reach for something to solve it as though that's something to get rid of. Let's, let me take a medication or let me distract myself. But we really struggle to learn how to carry pain with us, how to carry depression and sadness with us, right? Um, you don't have to suffer, right? And that's the work we do in therapy is how to not suffer while in pain and going through grief and loss, but allowing it at the same time. How do we tend to it and support it? We don't have to fix it or overcome it because grief is not a problem to be fixed or solved right? It just becomes our companion. And that was what was really beautiful to see with my mom is working with her on understanding that grief is not a mental illness and helping her learn how to sit with and sit through. And that was what she needed me to kind of witness it with her. So she didn't feel alone, but I didn't try to fix. I didn't try to solve. I didn't try to distract. I didn't try to push her along the stages. I didn't diagnose it. And that's what we often do. People will say, well, what do I say? What do I do? And I say, you just sit with them. You be with them, right? Learn how to carry grief with them. Um, again, we integrate it in. And that's that's like the work of a lot of mental health is, is learning how to just not be thrown off or scared of a full range of human emotions, right? Because again, what you're feeling is is love. Grief is part of love. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a natural extension. It's a healthy human response to losing something. And we marvel at what we can grieve the loss of, and it doesn't have to be anything or anyone we were close to. It can be representative of something else. It could be a reminder. We can grieve the loss of something that we had a relationship to, even if it was distal or we didn't know them personally. And that's what's so interesting about mental health and psychology is it always, it doesn't always make sense. It's not always rational. It's not always logical. It can be surprising what we feel or what reminds us. Um, and it remains because, again, of memory. And that can be beautiful for not suffering, but yet learning how to be with. And often we try to avoid. And when someone passes, we don't always acknowledge the, that they existed at some point. And that can be even more painful for some individuals where they'll say, you know, on their birthday or on the anniversary of their passing or on holidays, let's talk about them. Like, let's learn how to encounter that. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel the loss again. Uh, for some people, it's even more painful to think that we'll never remember them, you know? And I know that that's difficult. Um, And it depends on your spiritual beliefs on what happens. But I believe that we just transition to a new phase where we've left the body, but we can still exist in consciousness and memory. And our brain sees that as real. And we can still have conversation and time with, and that the body is just a vehicle, right? We talk about that in a lot of different ways, but that doesn't mean that they're absolutely gone, They're still, they can still be with us. So many cultures are a lot better with that. Uh, Here in our American Western culture, we struggle to really, again, because we have this whole narrative of, you have to move beyond, you have to overcome. Where other cultures are a lot more empowered around how can you stay connected? How can you stay close to? Even the Jewish faith, when they uh, sit Shiva, there's something really beautiful in that, right? Coming together, sitting with, honoring some Asian cultures have some really beautiful rituals around that. You know, American culture lacks a lot of ritual. We don't, we don't really know how to work with work through and other cultures kind of show us the beauty of ritualization. But, um, again, grief and loss, nothing to solve, but if you feel like there's a lot of suffering around it, which is very different from pain, that's where some of the therapy can come in. But, um, remember that, that grief is, is an aspect of love. And for many, just that statement can be very healing, you know? Um, Man, something very transformative about that, though. You're, you're a different person after a loss. And, um, you know, you become someone new. You never go back, right? All right, question of the night. That's coming up next. So, still some time to weigh in on that. And then we'll be doing some DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back now. It's time for question of the night. A new study says that people who share chores, for example, store runs, washing dishes, in a relationship are happier than those who have assigned chores. How do you do chores at home and how happy are you? That's the question of the night. This is beautiful because I talk about this in terms of couples and marital therapy, which is it's not about equality. Equality is never going to exist. There are going to be people that are more content and interested and motivated to do one thing while someone else in the relationship might be less so. And so it's really about mutuality. That's the word I use where everyone feels like they have equal say and equal power. And although it might not always be equal, as in maybe one person's more responsible for something and someone else is more responsible for something else, and it's a little lopsided in that way, where you know the person that's more interested in sex is going to be initiating, the person that's more interested in cleanliness will clean more. You know, again, within within a level of fairness, but again, it's about having equal power, not not necessarily equality. So I like this. It it you know this the study really looks at how there's more of a fluidity, and as our needs change, someone might be lovingly willing to step in and pick up the slack, while someone else is maybe focused on, you know, another um, priority of some kind. So I like that. I think that's what it's really about, right? Love, care, and fluidity. And we're paying attention to each other's needs and we're kind of filling in the gaps versus, versus this hard line. Do you do that? I'll do this and all's well. It also probably speaks to a couple's ability to communicate, right? Like a communication's in there and care is in there. And so again, fluidity. So the question of the night is, how do you do chores at home and how happy are you? First person said, I'm really messy and I'm so ashamed of how comfortable I feel without cleaning. If I got into a relationship, I'm sure that would become an issue. Yeah. I mean, this is where we really assess compatibility, right? Chemistry is just that fire and that yearning for each other and the sexuality and the affectionality and the attraction. But compatibility is what's it like when our personalities come together and how do our lifestyles blend and maybe you should be with someone who's also kind of messy and then they won't care and they'll feel very safe and very comfortable within the um, less rigidity uh, of the way that you kind of keep your home. And that's what it's about. Again, if you were to date someone someone who's uh, obsessive with it being everything in its place and everything being clean, I wouldn't call that compatible and you might not be an ideal couple to live together, which is great, you don't have to, but uh, think about those things. Or you have to say to your partner, it seems like you like things more cleanly so I will, like, I will put cleaning upon you and and it'll be done to your level and I'll handle something else instead. Um, But yeah, you're right. You should not be, t- <laughs> it should not just be uh, as it is. Somebody else said to the question tonight, the night, how do you do chores at home and how happy are you? Someone said, sharing is caring, coming up on eight years together, very happy. I love that. I like to use the word care. I think that's what the important piece is there. Again, how do you do chores at home? How happy are you? Someone said, there's no gender roles here. If you live here, clean up after yourself, simple. I love that because mental health doesn't, take into account things like gender roles it doesn't care what your anatomy is or what society's told you in terms of expectations because you're male presenting or female it doesn't matter it's just about do you feel cared for do you feel safe are you compatible and I like that no gender roles everyone has different jobs to do and you're expected to do it regardless of what's between your legs anatomy wise uh question like how do you do chores at home and how happy are you someone said we share chores and yes we are happy sometimes I do more and sometimes he does see that's what I mean that's kind of what the study was showing fluidity not rigidity all healthy relationships that are sustainable have flexibility in it fluidity and flexibility it's not rigid and flexibility and fluidity require care and trust right because sometimes it's going to be it's, it's in motion someone else said assigned exclamation point all caps much happier marriage all right well you found what works for you you know, I've been in relationships where assigning them felt better as well because I knew that they were going to get done versus some people are a little more distracted and kind of maybe just float around and don't do much. So I appreciate sometimes, sometimes you need a little definition. Somebody else said, I try to get him to contribute more. I hate, ha- I hate nagging, but I've been having to do that more and our happiness is slipping a bit. Yeah, so I want to put that on the partner. If your partner is needing to ask you to contribute, Uh, The question to you is why are you not aware of what's going on and why are you not stepping up? Why are you making your partner take on the frustration and the added chore of making sure you're contributing? Like be an adult, be more aware of yourself. And yeah, of course it impacts the relationship. You get exhausted, you're burnt out. When you think of them, the association is that this person's depleting. So I want everyone to look around and say, do I need to step up more? Am I aware of what's happening? You know, And even ask your partners, hey, how do you feel I am about chipping in and, and doing chores? Is there anything I can do to help? Like again, healthy relationships check in on each other and they say, what's it like to be with me? Are there things you'd like me to do differently? And then you consider the possibility of some shift and change. I love that, fluidity, remember, flexibility. Question of the night, it is how do you do chores at home? How happy are you? Somebody said when something needs to be done, just do it. Yep, that works for people that are very aware and focused. Other people that are very busy or distracted, Weeks can go by without important things getting done in terms of cleanliness, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So well done for you though. Someone else said we trade off chores with our animals and choose cleaning chores. It's been working for us. I love that. Again, trading off, I hear flexibility, fluidity, you know? But again, you have to count on the fact that your partner is aware of themselves and aware of what needs to be done, right? That's in there. Somebody else said, we have a whiteboard with a to-do list and whoever gets to it 1st we'll just cross it off. Oh, I like that as well, though. Everyone's contributing, right? It's not competition. Everyone knows we all live here and we want everyone to be happy. Like that's part of a healthy relationship is you know what makes your partner happy, what their love languages, and you try to center that. You try to focus on that, you know, that's care. All right, thanks to all those that participated Coming up next, DMs. You're listening to Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore it with confidence. All right, this one's very, very long. <laughs> so I'm gonna to try to jump around so bear with me because it's extensively long hey dr. Chris I'm asking this midnight on a Saturday so who knows if you'll even see it well it took me a minute but here we are we're all gonna learn a lot from it I asked this question <clears throat> on an app and got so much hate from other women saying I'm immature and I'm going to re- ruin my relationship and I need to apologize and that I've made my man insecure here's what happened my boyfriend and I work together at a restaurant my guy got hired that I, oh a guy a guy got hired that I hooked up with seven or eight years ago in high school one time while drunk. He's now my best friend's baby daddy. So obviously this guy's somewhat of an acquaintance, not even a friend, but my boyfriend knows we hooked up because it's a small town and he was asking about him and saying oh it'll be weird working with him because our girls are best friends and i replied oh you guys will probably get along he's pretty cool and then we had a battle he said i'm disrespectful he said i can't say someone i hooked up with is cool and that it's messed up he blew up my phone while i'm at work saying want to know how so-and-so is doing on their first day bah, 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 bah. later <laughs> later when we were going to talk about it i was like hey i'll talk this out with you if you can at least admit that you were out of line earlier he refused he said he can't get past how disrespectful i am Fast forward to me asking my app community and everyone's against me saying, how would you feel if he said someone he hooked up with was cool and how I should just apologize and stop the argument? <clears throat> I shouldn't be sorry for thinking someone hooked up was cool. I didn't say he was hot or amazing in bed. <laughs> like something is wrong with me. Please give me clarity. I love questions like this. So what this, this app community is really talking about is what we call toxic forms of monogamy. No, you should not feel bad. It's okay to acknowledge that you've had sex with someone. It's okay to acknowledge you've dated someone. You know, I know people that inherently, upon being out in the world with someone they're dating, if they see someone's ex, they they make them an enemy immediately. And it's like, why? Why? No, Why? don't, look, we don't wanna move through the world seeing everyone as a threat. That is overwhelming for us. That's not psychologically healthy. That's a form of control. And that's a form of emotional abuse. I like people being friends with their exes if we are in relationships with people we trust trust and if you can't again you're with the wrong partner or you have to you have work to do, but I appreciate what you're saying you weren't trying to make your boyfriend feel bad about this guy you weren't you know telling sex stories which for some couples that is fun and sexy, but It's okay to acknowledge that they're a cool person. It's okay to say maybe you guys would get along. I think that, again, when people come into our lives via sex or dating, I want us to run it in a healthy way so that maybe they can stay in our lives. Sex sex and dating are a great way to make new friends and to keep friends. Just because sex and romance are no longer possible or available doesn't mean they have to be completely removed. All the other aspects that we enjoyed about them should be able to stay in our lives. So I want you to be empathetic, but I want you to help grow your partner up. I think it's fair to say, listen, what you're talking about falls under the heading of a toxic form of. It's also a little emotionally abusive. I need to be able to acknowledge people in my past and I don't have to feel bad about that. I'm I'm allowed to have had sex and to have dated other people. And I wasn't keeping secrets or lying. I was open about it so you knew who this person was. And um, I'm gonna leave that for you to manage. You've done nothing wrong and this is on your boyfriend to deal with his feelings. You don't need to take responsibility for all of your boyfriend's feelings. It's not your job to never make him uncomfortable. It's not your job to, prov- to protect him from bumping into anything that you know makes his feelings hurt. He needs to toughen up and grow up. This is part of being in the world. Our partners have dated and had sex with other people. There, there's nothing to feel bad about. There's nothing to be jealous about. You are not responsible, as these people in this app said, for quote unquote, keeping your man happy. If that's enough for him to leave you, he needs to go. You know, if your relationship is that fragile that someone who you had sex with years ago works there and he can't manage that, oh man, he's got a lot of work to do. This kind of stuff makes me nervous that people really still believe that we should see these people as a threat. Um, That's how it goes. So, you're solid, you, you have no more work to do on this other than being empathetic and available and willing to talk more, but you've done nothing wrong. And if your boyfriend floods you with texts like that while you're at work, set a boundary, tell him you won't be responding to texts like that, that that's abusive, you're allowed to feel safe at work and get through the day, work is hard enough. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry that that happened, that's a mess. This kind of stuff really, really gets me annoyed. But I'm here. I'm here to help you all through it. All right, Sliding in the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sex world. We want you to explore the confidence. That's our show, Love Line. You can check out all the old episodes on wearechannelq.com and radio.com. Also, tomorrow, check out my live stream show. I'm listening live on all the radio.com handles. That's on their Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook page, 5 p.m. Pacific, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. And uh, as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. Have a beautiful, beautiful night.